following podcast is a recreation of recordings from Universe 619. All words, titles, and information are authentic and unedited. As this universe has no bearing on yours, you are welcome to enjoy this as a work of fiction. For any questions relating to the multiverse, your place in it, or the crushing depression of knowing there are other versions of you in other universes currently living a better and more fulfilling life than you, contact multiversal consultant, archivist, and author Lancelot Castle. You can find him and more information at thenashamaseries.tumblr.com. Hi, my name is Ari Kravitz. Welcome back to Afterlife and Chag Pesach Sameach. We're a few days into Passover now, and it's much easier to keep when you can't eat. Let me tell you that. Though the Seder was much more difficult. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself as usual. First of all, I want to point out that this is my 18th recording. This time I definitely got the maths right. 18 is an important number in Judaism. I'm not going to give a full explanation of why, because that would take up the whole recording, but it comes from the word chai, which means living. And the letters in Hebrew that make up that word add up to 18. So for me, it's exciting to be on episode 18, especially when it's also one of the most important holidays in the Jewish calendar. Anyway, I should probably give a quick update on everything from last recording. They didn't find any bugs in the house, and we realized that none of what had been recorded was important. And more importantly, we realized that whoever had recorded it had left the tapes, so they clearly weren't using it for anything. Our current theory is that some sort of trickster creature has decided to make me the butt of its jokes for a bit. Mem and Amrita think it should stop if I just leave it alone. Dode said he thought it could be whatever the eyes are. He seemed pretty worked up about it, even though he agreed it was technically harmless. He said he was upset my privacy was being violated, but I don't really mind. I think it was kind of sweet of him to worry, though. He's been taking more time off recently. Mitchell and I managed to convince him to start going to one of the groups in the place I go to. It's one for seers who deal with death. He's working through realizing it's not his job to warn people, and that he can't just keep taking on the emotional burden of others. I don't think he'll ever properly give it up, but he's actively trying hard to take care of himself. Plus, it's helpful for me because we can go together and leave at the same time, so it takes a lot less coordination to make sure I'm safe. That's the one place I worry the walkers might still show up, so it's nice to have Dode there for protection. But it's definitely been good for him. I don't think he realized how much he was burning himself out. I get why he did it. He felt like he had to since he was one of the only ones who could, but he's learning that he can't help anyone else if he's not okay, and that there's only so much people can expect from him regardless of what he's capable of. It's nice to see him doing so well. I got to see a bit of his personality the few times he took breaks, but now it's really coming out. He's a really sweet guy. And his sense of humour is incredible. He's really quick and sharp-witted. Sometimes I don't even realise until much later that he's made a joke. 
Even physically, he looks better. He's been sleeping normal hours, eating regular meals, and he doesn't look like he's literally carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's been doing a lot with his free time. He spent a while reading a bunch of books he'd been planning to read. He went to a doctor and got some allergy meds so he can cuddle Glida without sneezing all the time. And he starts to get back into cooking. Sometimes I help him. Well, usually I just sit on the counter and hand him things when he asks for them. He doesn't really like other people getting involved in his cooking, but he likes company. Anyway, him having more time off meant that everyone was around for our Passover Seder. I, uh, I should probably explain a little bit about Passover and how it works. I usually call it Pesach, because that's the Hebrew name for it, but sometimes I call it Passover. In general, I prefer to use the Hebrew word for things, just because it's a privilege my ancestors didn't always have to be able to speak the language. And I sort of object to having to use someone else's word for my culture. But when I'm trying to explain things to people, I use both so they know what I'm talking about. And today's going to be educational, so you'll get to hear both the English and the Hebrew for things. So, most people know the basic story of Pesach, but for anyone who doesn't, I can give you the Ari Kravitz abridged version. The Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh got a prophecy saying a Jewish boy would free us. He ordered all the Jewish baby boys killed, but Yochebed, a Jewish woman, hid her son in a basket of reeds and sent him down the Nile. The young boy was called Moshe, Moses in English. His name means drawn from the Nile. His sister Miriam, or Miriam, followed him down the river. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter and she decided to adopt him. Miriam told her about a Jewish woman who could nurse the baby for her and brought Yochebed to her. Yochebed secretly taught him all about Judaism as she brought him up in Pharaoh's house. When Moshe got older, he saw a Jewish slave being beaten almost to death and killed the man beating him. When he realized he might get in trouble for it, he ran into the desert. There he encountered a burning bush that spoke to him. It was God telling him to set the Jewish people free. Um, there's a lot I'm leaving out. There's a whole story about Moshe as a child getting a speech impediment by burning his mouth. It's a whole thing, but I'm cutting down a lot of the story so that I don't spend the whole time rambling about it. Anyway, he and his brother Aharon, or Aaron, went to Pharaoh and told him to let the Jewish people go. He um, also turned a staff into a snake. They ate other staffs that were turned into snakes, but that's a side thing I won't go into. Anyway, the way it's worded is a little strange, but it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, which isn't great. But anyway, he said no ten times, there were ten plagues. The river turning to blood, frogs, gnats, wild beasts, death of livestock, boils, flaming hail, locust, three days of darkness, and the death of the firstborn child. Through all of the plagues, the Jewish people were spared, Finally, we managed to escape, but we had to leave quickly, so we only had time to take a few things and didn't have time to let our bread rise before having to take it on the road with us. Pharaoh changed his mind after we'd escaped and chased us to the edge of the Sea of Reeds. 
Mosher parted the waters and we got across safely, and then the waters swept away Pharaoh's army. Once again, uh, this is all very simplified. This is not a thorough explanation of everything that happened. Also, on Pesach, we're supposed to feel as though we personally were there, which is why I say we. Anyway, I think that's most of what you really need to know about Pesach to understand what's happening. Some of the story is incorporated into the Seder, so I thought it was good background information to have. Anyway, Mem, Adam, and I set up the Seder together. The others helped out, but because we're the Jewish ones in the house, we took charge. It was really fun to be able to bond with them both over the traditions and everything. Though, Mem always laughs at me for how I pronounce my Hebrew. It's very Ashkenazi. Oh, oh gosh. I don't think I can even begin to get into what Ashkenazi is or the different groups of Jews in this recording. It's a bit much. It's a long and complicated history. We also ended up getting into a discussion of whether or not chocolate and coffee were kosher for Passover if you don't eat kidneyot. That one I can explain more easily. So, on Pesach, we're not supposed to eat any bread products or anything leavened. Some people extend that to things called kidneyot, which are legumes, grains, and seeds. So we were debating, which is kind of a big Jewish tradition we love to argue, we were debating whether or not things made out of cocoa beans and coffee beans count. See, if kidneyot were just beans, they wouldn't, because cocoa and coffee beans aren't actually beans. But both are actually the seeds of their respective plants, and seeds can be considered kidneyot. We ended up agreeing that whether or not they're kidneyot, someone else out there probably treats them as such. It was really fun to celebrate with Mem and Adam and see the different ways our Judaism manifests. Mem is very spiritual and connected to our culture. I'm both religious and into the culture, and Adam is an atheist who enjoys the culture too. It's weird to me to think some people see Judaism as just a religion, and as a strictly monotheistic one at that. But Mem, Adam, and I all experience the religious aspect of Judaism differently, and yet we all celebrate Pesach in almost the same way. Because our holidays are more cultural than religious, really. It's our way of connecting to our ancestors, especially Pesach, since it's all about our history. Anyway, I should probably explain what a Seder is. There's no real English word for it. I mean, literally it translates to the word order, but there's no specific English word for what it practically is. It's... Well, we have a table, and everyone sits around it, and we have a plate full of symbolic foods, some of which we eat and some we don't, and we drink wine and tell the story and relax. There's a whole thing about relaxing. We're supposed to take the time to recline in our seats and be as comfortable as possible, because it's a privilege we have that our ancestors didn't. Anyway, there's a specific order to what we do, the prayers we say, all of that. 
Okay, so the food. We have salty water to symbolize tears, and then a plate with some stuff on it. There is the shank bone, or zoroa, that symbolizes the lamb's blood the Jewish people put on their door frames to stop their firstborns being killed during the last plague. We don't eat that one. <laughs> then there's the egg, the bitter, which symbolizes rebirth and all that good egg stuff. We also don't usually eat that, but we eat other eggs sometimes that aren't on the plate. There's bitter herbs, maror, which reminds us of how bitter it was for the Jewish people. There's haroseth, which doesn't have an English word, but it's kind of a goopy paste of apples, wine, and nuts that symbolizes the bricks the Jewish people were forced to use to build things as slaves. There's greens, chazeret, which probably symbolized something, but I don't really remember. And finally, there's the vegetables, or karpas, which we dip in the salt water. Not on the plate, we also have three pieces of matzo, which are the hard cracker things. Usually you have other actual food to eat. Snacks, dinner, dessert. But those are the important ones for it to be a seder. So we set it all up, and Mem made a brisket that smelled absolutely heavenly. I've been looking into spells that will allow me to eat, but it's kind of hard to learn without one of the vampire to mentor me. Uh, I really think it might be worth it. It was nice for a while to not have to worry about eating, but food is so good. I miss it so much. Especially Jewish foods, because they're such a source of comfort for me. I think that's one thing that bridges the gap between a lot of cultures. I know the others don't really know much about Judaism. I mean, they're really nice and want to learn, and they enjoy taking part in everything, but they don't know much about it. But we all kind of realized that food is something that just about every culture finds important. Which makes sense, it's necessary to live, it's enjoyable, and for most cultures, mealtime is also a time to socialize. On the other hand, the others were all pretty surprised by how often we wash our hands. That's a whole thing in Judaism, we are big on being clean. We have the ritual baths, hand washing, rules about cleanliness. I don't think anyone but Julia was really prepared for how many times we'd be washing our hands during the Seder. It was kind of strange not being with my family for the Seder. It was the first time ever that I wasn't at home for Pesach. Like most Jews, Mem and I have some different traditions, so we blended them together. That made it easier. It wasn't like I was going through all the same motions just without my family. It was a new experience entirely. Some things were familiar, but some were entirely new to me. It was fun, explaining everything to the others. They thought we were pulling their legs when we told them to open the door and invite in any hungry strangers as loudly as they could. But they did it anyway, and they did finally believe us when we explained the whole tradition to them. We had Adam do the four questions, since it's the youngest. It was a bit of a relief not to be the one doing it for once. Apparently, Adam knows all about Judaism already. 
Babies allegedly know all about Judaism and Torah in the womb, but then the knowledge is tapped out of them by an angel, which is why we have the little dips above our lips. That's where the angel taps us. But Adam doesn't have that and was created by Mem, so it knows all about the Torah. Which means it already knew about the traditions and prayers without us having to teach it. It actually knows more than I do, if I'm being honest. Which isn't too surprising, but I think it's pretty cool. We also went around and took turns reading parts of the story of Passover. It was really cool to see the way each of us read. Mem was very rabbinical about it, like Mem was teaching us through the story. Julia had a very soothing reading voice, and Amrit really put her art into the drama of the story. Mitchell did a bunch of voices, which was really fun. And Dode, <laughs> I almost fell asleep listening him Tim read. It was so soft and gentle. I didn't read because reading aloud makes my stutter worse, um, and Adam didn't read because it can't read, and Xander and his mother didn't read because they're both very dyslexic. But it was really fun to listen to the others. Mem and I also got to team up and hide the Afikomen, which is... Okay, so... Um... So we have three pieces of matzo on the table. You break the middle one in two, and the bigger piece... The smaller piece? One of the pieces is called the Afikomen, which is dessert for after the meal. I mean, most people also have a real dessert because matzo's kind of gross. But it's supposed to be the last thing you eat at Seder. Anyway, before that, it's a tradition in my house to hide the Afikomen and have people hunt around and try to find it. Whoever finds it gets the biggest piece. Which, considering it's gross, isn't really a great prize. But most people are just in it for bragging rights anyway. We hid it under one of the chairs in the library. It took them a while to find it since the house is so big and we said they couldn't use magic. Adam ended up finding it. Which is probably for the best, since it actually likes matzo. Which I guess makes sense. It can't taste things, so it goes by texture alone. And it loves a good crunch. Adam and I were both in ideal positions when we had to eat the Hillel sandwiches. Mem had never actually heard of it. But I know it's not just my family. It's a pretty old tradition where you make a sandwich out of matzo, haroseth, horseradish, and more matzo. They are absolutely disgusting, especially when you put Daoud in charge of making them and he piles on the horseradish for everyone but himself. But Adam couldn't taste it and I'm not allowed to eat it, so we just got to watch the others suffer. Mitchell got Daoud back by putting horseradish in his mashed potatoes during dinner. Oh. Do you all know about Elijah's cup and Miriam's cup? It's a whole thing, and I'm not going to get into the stories behind them, but basically you leave out a cup of wine and a cup of water. They're supposed to be drank by Elijah the prophet and Miriam, but usually your parents just drink them when you're not looking. But this time, I was sitting by myself at the table after the Seder, and they started disappearing. Something drank them. I was kind of just watching them and zoning out, and I didn't notice at first, but slowly the wine started disappearing, and then the water. The cups lifted a bit like they were being drank from and everything. I told the others, 
but I think they thought I drank them and was pretending it was someone else. I briefly entertained the idea that it might have been Elijah and Miriam, but... Well, as silly as it sounds, given everything I know is true, it's a bit too far-fetched for me to stretch my imagination. I've never really been one for taking Jewish stories literally. I've always thought of them more as just stories with good morals that we should model our lives on. I don't really know how I feel about God, and I know I don't take the stories literally. I mean, the ones we can't prove. Like Avram sacrificing Yitzhak. Not like actual Jewish history. I see them as two different things. But I definitely don't think some prophet came down to drink our wine. But it was a really nice Seder. Xander and his mum even joined us. It's always fun with more people, and I felt bad thinking about them being so close, yet having such a small Seder at home alone. So I invited them over just before we started. And it was fun getting to share my culture with everyone. Back in World Olive, I was always a little hesitant to tell people I'm Jewish. And even if they know, I didn't want them to think I was too Jewish, whatever that means. And so I always hid my culture from other people. But my new friends, they're all just really nice. And they're also curious. They want to know everything they can about Judaism and our holidays and stuff. I guess it's partly because Jewish witches have a bit of a different culture from Jewish people who aren't witches, so their only way of learning about my culture is through me. Whatever the reason, it's refreshing to not have to be scared for a change. Anyway, I think it's just about time to start wrapping up, so I'll leave you all with today's advice. There are some things you need a recipe for, some you don't, and somewhere a recipe is a handy guide, but doesn't need to be followed. For food on the Seder plate that you're not eating, it doesn't really matter how it's cooked. For Haroseth, it's handy to have a recipe to refer to, but you can really change it up as much as you want, as long as it's still basically the same. For salt water, you really shouldn't need a recipe, but if it makes you happy, then go for it. But if you're planning to make your own matzah from scratch, then please use a recipe and stick to it. You can't just wing that, it will end up even worse than matzah usually is.